If you are able, I would encourage you to rise and hear the reading of God's Word. As I've said, we're taking a bit of a break from Zechariah, and we're going to be in Joel chapter 2 this morning, and we're kind of parachuting right into the middle of the chapter. But hear the word, the reading of God's Word from verse 24. The, thresh, the threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. The reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we do give you thanks for your word, for the truth that it's found inside of it. May you reveal that truth to us now. Guide the words that I have this morning to your people. May they be your words, words of truth, to guide us into your truth. Watch over us. Protect us. May we hear you now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In 1966, a show first came on to the American airwaves It lasted for seven years and was widely popular, so popular in fact, that some 14 years later, it ran for another two years. So popular in fact that movies have been made and now it's one of the most prolific movie series that we know of. It has one of the most famous actors in Hollywood. There's eight movies and counting, I believe. This well-known show and this movie has not only fascinated us, but it also has spoken into pop culture, for it has two of the most famous pop culture quotes or saying that we know of. The first one is this, and you'll pretty much get an idea of where we're headed, but as always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This message will self-destruct in 10 seconds. Now, you might already start hearing the music in the back of your mind already, right? Of course, the show, the movie, is Mission Impossible, first starring Peter Graves as Agent Jim Phelps, and now, of course, Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. And the second most famous line from Mission Impossible is what? Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is. And then it goes on to tell the mission, right? This is where we find ourselves here this morning. Believe it or not, this morning and every morning, we have a mission. And this mission, when we first look at it, may seem extremely challenging, perhaps to some of us, impossible. This mission, if you choose to accept it, is to restore the world. It's to restore the world to the way it's supposed to be. 
Some of us look at that and hear that and we say, that is indeed impossible. But hang with me for a few moments here and I can say that it's possible. Very possible. You see, as we read Scripture this morning, this is the very thing that the Lord is working towards. As we read Scripture, not only this morning, but every morning, as we see and as we understand Scripture, we see that from Genesis 4 to the end of Revelation chapter 22, this is the mission of the Lord God, to restore things, everything, to the way it was supposed to be. Ever since Genesis 3 and the fall of the world into sin and brokenness and death, this is what the Lord's about. What is it that He is restoring? As I said, He is on the mission of restoring everything. Every thought, every action, every feeling, every emotion, every entity, every system, every family, every church, every person, every job. As we read Scripture, then we are to see and witness just how is it that the Lord is undertaking and accomplishing this mission, for this is what it is. This is the drama that plays out in all of Scripture. What is the Lord going to do next? Will the people survive? Will He restore them to good standing before the Lord? Is everything going to work out okay, even after they did this? And the same for our lives, too. Will the Lord still restore me after I've done that? After I have these thoughts, these emotions, these things going on? This is the ongoing tension, drama of Scripture. But the Lord continues to work. And He continues, as Joel says, to be present with His people, always at work, always restoring, always restoring everything and everyone. And this is what's happening in the book of Joel as well. I understood that we jumped right into the middle of a chapter, right in the middle of a book. And I know you've heard me say before, that's just not always the wisest thing to do because we're missing out on a lot of the context. And there is danger in that when we fly in and parachute down into a book and we haven't seen the first chapter and a half or we really don't know what's going on. So I don't want to give us a bit of a picture of what's happening in Joel in order that we can understand where we're headed here this morning. So in the first chapter of Joel, Joel is looking back on the day of the Lord. And he's looking back at what has happened to the people of Israel. And he uses these terms like locusts and things like that, these strange images of a swarm of locusts. What's well, actually an army that has besieged the people of Israel and taken them into exile. A swarm of locusts. Imagine a, a horde of soldiers coming like locusts and destroying everything in their path and taking people into captivity. It's the, 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 the day of judgment that the Lord has brought and reached upon His people. And they've showered down, literally in the form of a locust of an army. This also brings in the image of the eighth plague of, of Egypt, right? But this, not, but this time, not so much as literal locusts, but an army. Then in chapter 2 of Joel, the prophet, the prophet Joel spins a little bit. He's no longer looking backwards, but he begins to look forward to another day of the Lord. A day of the Lord when the locusts have been removed. When things are restored and the city is back to the way it's supposed to be and everything is, is going in the proper direction. A day of hope, a day of anticipation, a day of excitement and energy and a, a day that when we're supposed to be okay and safe and secure, this is a day of the Lord, not in the past, 
but a day of the Lord in the future. A day when the Lord is present with His people and the storehouses have been replenished. When the worship of God's people is restored and in the right frame, and frankly, when the world comes to be in the presence of the Lord. This is what the prophet Joel is longing for, looking for, anticipating, and excited about. This is the day that he pleads with the people of Israel to see and to be encouraged. No matter where they find themselves on this day, the day of the Lord is coming. And he will restore. And he will make things right. Be encouraged that the Lord is with them. He's present with them. And the Spirit is poured out upon them. And all things will be set right again. So the verses that we read this morning are the prophet painting then this picture of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord in the future when things are set right. The picture of just what the day of the Lord will look like. He's not saying to the people, now you go and do all of these things. For the Lord is at work and He is doing this. But He's painting a a picture of a grand world that is right before their eyes, in their grasp. He says, imagine the day. Imagine the day when the storehouses are full of grain and it's overflowing. Imagine a day when, when when the vats are overflowing with olive oil and and wine. Wouldn't that be a wonderful day? A day of rejoicing. Imagine this type of place. A type when the a type of place where there's no guilt, no shame, no fear, when comfort, when security are what is felt and known. Imagine a day when the Lord, when the world will see the power of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be brought near. Wouldn't that be a great day? Won't that be a great day? And we might say, Well, that seems impossible. For as we look around our world, that's not always the picture that we see. As we look around not only the world, but our country, our state, our city, and we're not always looking at full storehouses full of money. We're not always looking at everything comfortable and secure. We're not always looking at Comfort as the main motivation or the main thing that drives us. So now the message to the people of Israel is to strive for this day. To work for this day. For this is the day of the Lord. This is what the Lord is working towards. This is what the Lord is going to bring. Work for this day. Because this is what the Lord is all about. To bring this picture into reality. To bring this day to you and to us and to His people. For all who call upon His name will indeed know this day. We are to long for this day. This is what we should desire. This is what we should want in the deepest part of our hearts and our souls. We are to long for a day when guilt and shame are removed. We're to long for the day when the world comes to be in the presence of the Lord. When we are the world in the presence of the Lord together, we're to long for a day when the poor are fed. When those who have been hurt are comforted. When the shamed and the oppressed are brought back into the safety of the sanctuary of the kingdom of God. This is the mission. This is the mission 
of God. To restore all of these things. And then so, as Mission Impossible says, Christian, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to get on board. It's to get on board with that mission. Not only and simply to long for that day. To be excited about that day. But to work towards that day. That we would be the ones that comfort the hurting. That we would be the ones who remove guilt and shame and welcome all into the presence of the Lord. That we would be the ones quick to forgive. The ones quick to lend a helping hand. The ones to be this kind of people. The mission is to restore all things. We have a unique opportunity at Redeemer Arlington. We have a unique opportunity that is before us in the next coming weeks and months and years. We have a unique opportunity that, frankly, doesn't come along very often. This opportunity is to look over our city and to be able to consciously and effectively move into our city and to work towards this kind of day. To be in and among a community to say, we value you and we honor you and we love you. We want to work alongside you. We want to love you and care for you. The opportunity is then to set our gaze upon our community and deliberately set out to restore Arlington, Texas and beyond. Not with who we are or how wonderful or not we are, but with how wonderful and amazing is the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity to look at each and every area of our community. Each area that's been impacted by sin and brokenness. And minister in and to those areas. To minister in love and grace and compassion. To be in the world, but yet still not of the world. To live out the Great Commission in new and exciting ways. So this morning, I want to begin to to lay out the process of communing. If I can say it, easier said than said, right? I want to begin to lay out this process. To communicate to you the mission that is set before us by the Lord. And we're going to do that using Joel 2. So look at me if you still have Joel 2 open. Look at me, look with me at verses 27 and 28 again. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And then verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. The mission is not impossible because of these two verses. The mission of restoring every area of Arlington is not impossible because of these two verses. Now there are all sorts of complexities in these two verses that we're not going to get into this morning. I'm not going to get into the Azusa Street, the Azusa Street Revival or Pentecostalism. I'm not going to get into talking about prophecies or any of that. I'm not going to get into the legitimacy of the individuals of men and women and children and their value to the, to the members of the kingdom of the people of God. No, for today what I want to focus on is something that is also there. 
For these things that I just mentioned, we can be enamored about and we can talk about a very long time, but I want to have a laser focus on some element of these verses. That focus is how is it possible to do this mission? For it does actually seem impossible. How are we going to be about restoring Arlington? How is that possible? Joel says it's possible because the Lord is with us. It's possible because the Holy Spirit is poured out on to the believer. The Holy Spirit is poured out on to the people. Each of us then has a role to play, to dream dreams, to prophesy, all of these things, right? We could talk about that in a later time, but we have roles to play. And we're to work towards that end because the Holy Spirit goes before us and has been poured out upon us. We are to move in a certain direction. We are to move in a direction in this city and in our state that we are to move towards this day of the Lord. To work in and among to accomplish this day of the Lord. Namely that the barns are full, the churches are full, and they're full of the people of the world. And so... Is this the mission that we're willing to undertake? And the power behind that mission is the presence of the Lord and the person of the Holy Spirit. The mission is possible because the Lord pours out His Spirit upon the people. The day the prophet was looking forward to is Acts chapter 2. So if you want, you can put a finger in Acts chapter 2. I think we know what Acts chapter 2, the first few verses of that chapter say to us, but here we go. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, we could talk about all of the intricacies of those four verses But the important part here is that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon His people and things that they thought were once impossible, like speaking different languages, was now possible because the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. The day the prophet was looking forward to is also told to us in Acts chapter 13. And the disciples were continually filled with the joy and with the Holy Spirit. It also looks like 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Or 2 Corinthians 1, And who has also put his seal on us and gives us his Holy Spirit on our hearts as a guarantee. A guarantee of salvation, of course, is what Paul is talking about in that letter to the church at Corinth, but also the guarantee of the presence of the Lord. And he will help us along the way to accomplish this mission of restoration. It is this then that Joel wants the people of Israel to understand. It is this then he wants us to understand that the presence of the Lord will accomplish this mission. And we are now a part of that mission because the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us. If restoration of all things is the mission and the engine behind the mission is the Holy Spirit, what exactly is to be restored? Again, Everything. Everything is the answer, is the correct answer, because everything has been touched by the impact of sin and brokenness. 
And so therefore, everything must be impacted by grace and love and forgiveness. But everything for my feeble brain seems overwhelming. Maybe perhaps for you too. Everything is a really big concept to grasp. But everything must be restored. Thankfully, Joel speaks into that for us and breaks it down a little bit more into manageable sections. Manageable portions that I can begin to understand. And so I want to draw out a couple of those things for, here, for us here this morning. So as you continue to look at Joel chapter 2, now cast your eyes upon verses 24 to 25. Where we see the first thing that is restored in the day of the Lord, or the, the era of the day of the Lord. We see what? We see this picture, right, of storehouses being full. We see vats that are overflowing with olive oil and grape juice in order to make wine. This is the image that Joel is putting forth, that the Lord has put to Joel to send to the people. We see that all of these things are overflowing. This is an image of what? Plenty, of, of abundance, of, of overflowing. It's an image of prosperity, of wealth, and of comfort. There's little to worry about when the storehouses are full, right? There's little to worry about when the vats are overflowing. When they're overflowing with goods to to sell and for other people to buy. Life is good in the day of the Lord. The city has been restored in the day of the Lord. Security has been restored in the day of the Lord. Comfort has been restored in the day of the Lord. But even more fundamentally than a feeling of security or comfort is a security that there are jobs to perform. When a politician stumps for an office, there's often an agenda that he or she has, right? Some politicians stump on foreign affairs, some on education, others on taxes. But every single politician from the president to city council, stumps on jobs. Jobs. Why? Because a healthy economy and a healthy society have at its core plenty of good-paying jobs that allow other people to buy other people's stuff. Right? Economics 101. I make stuff. I have a good job. You have a good job, so you buy my stuff. This is what we learn in freshman economics, whether in high school or college. Joel is giving us a picture of what it looks like to have work restored. And you say, Ryan, that's kind of a stretch, but just bear with me for just a second. When work yields mounds of grain on the threshing floor, how does it get there? When the vats are overflowing with olive oil and grape juice, how does it get there? For the grain has to be cut. It has to be bundled. It has to be transported to the fleshing floor. It has to get thrashed. It has to get stored. It has to get sold. Same for the olives and grapes. You see, this is a picture of a healthy economy. When things are working the way they're supposed to work, when people are working, when a city is working, it's a picture of the Lord's economy in which tasks are performed, and the yield from those tasks is something glorious. The wheat does not just magically appear in the bins. The grapes do not just magically turn into wine. 
Things have to happen for that to go accordingly well. Work must be done. In the day of the Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be more than enough to go around. You see, even work is being restored on the day of the Lord. We like to think of restoration as the church kind of things, right? But do we often think of work as being restored as something to or needs to be restored? Yes, here in Joel chapter 2 is saying, yes, all of that, all of that. As I said, we have a unique opportunity moving forward at Redeemer Arlington. We have an opportunity to move into this very arena, into the marketplace, into work, to minister and live and work out our gospel. The gospel has been given to us to restore the workplace, the marketplace, to have a presence in this community as people work and perform their duties. I'll develop this later in Sunday school, so another shameless plug for Sunday school. Please come to Sunday school the next three weeks as we will begin as a session to map out vision and mission to you all about what it looks like to to move into this new campus. These things will be played out in further detail. But this is something that we have before us to actually move into the marketplace to work for the restoration for all of us for our city, but it's going to take all of us. This mission, this vision is not just for me to do. It's not just for the officers to do or the Sunday school teachers to do. This is a mission where the Lord goes before us by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we all must take on. This work of restoration is all of our mission. As we move forward, this is something that we all need to undertake. It's going to take all of us. For each is called by the Lord. And if we're called by the Lord, then each of us has a role to play. In order for growth to occur, right, for the storehouses to be full, for the the vats to be overflowing, somebody has to cut the wheat. Somebody has to bundle the wheat. Somebody has to sell the wheat. Somebody has to manage the income from the sale of the wheat. All of these things, friends, it's going to take each and every one of us. And again, we have needs in this church. We have things that in order for us to accomplish that mission, we have things here that we can do. I've said this in other contexts and perhaps from from announcements, but I'll say it from the pulpit here this morning. There are some in this church who have not heard a sermon in months, who have not participated in worship for months, maybe a couple times here and there. But they were at church every single day. Every single week they're here, but they are not able to participate. It's a simple thing. It's a simple thing to say, I'm going to volunteer in the nursery or Sunday school or children's church or something like that. But this is one simple way in which we can say to one another, I love you and I care for you and your family and I care for this city and I care for you as the people who serve in these capacities every single week. In order for the storehouses to be full, we need to care for the youngest to the oldest. We've taken vows in this church when a child gets baptized 
that we're going to help a family love, support, care for, and raise these children. Each one of us has raised our hand and said, yes, I take that vow. We have an opportunity to fulfill those vows. We have an opportunity to work towards restoring this city because it's my prayer, my hope, that we have many more families come and see what the Lord is doing in this wonderful church, in this wonderful congregation. And we have an opportunity to minister to these families. But if no one's there in the nursery, there's no one in Sunday school or children's church, who's going to care for the little ones of these? It's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us. And that's just one example. But it's a pressing example here and now of the kind of work that's before us. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be uncomfortable work at times. It may even be something that I really don't want to do. But I'm going to do it for somebody else. I'm going to do it because I took a vow before this congregation and the Lord that I would help raise children and love them and care for them and support them. It's going to take all of us to support businessmen and women in this, in this community as they are in our campus and on our campus six, seven days a week as people come and they, they use our facility for quinceañeras or whatever it may be. It's going to take all of us to set up chairs to take chairs down, to set up sound to take sound down. It's going to take all of us. This is part of the mission. Part of the mission of restoring our city. And so we need to fulfill these vows. We all need to take these tasks. We have a unique opportunity before us. And I am so excited. I'm excited to tell you more about it. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing. And I can't wait. But I can't do it myself. And the session can't do it by ourselves. It takes all of us. It takes all of us to work to restore the workplace, to restore Arlington and everything in it. It takes all of us. And it takes all of us because the Holy Spirit goes before us and he has been poured out on each and every one of us to be a part of this mission of restoring Arlington, Texas. This is what Joel is talking about. This is what's before us. And I, I, really, I, I am so excited to see how the Lord is going to use this congregation. I truly am. And then as a result of this restorative process, as we do these things, as we work and strive to restore everything within Arlington, something automatically is the result of all of this. And that's where we move further into verses 26 and 27 of of Joel chapter 2, specifically verse 26. When the work is being performed and the workplace is being restored and the bins are full and overflowing, the natural result is to what? Do you see it there? To praise the Lord for what He has accomplished and what He has done. The natural result is to worship. And this is what we do. As a result of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Lord restores a rightful place of worship. A place where there is no guilt or shame. A place defined by grace and forgiveness. A place that recognizes just who and what the Lord is and what He has accomplished for His people. When we are in a place of comfort, when we are in a place of security and we're freed then to praise the Lord because we're all on this mission of restoring everything in Arlington, in Texas, and the world. And we see what the Lord is doing. We praise the Lord. I've seen it done here. 
We praise the Lord. But what does that place look like? What does that kind of community look like? What's the vibe, if you will, of that kind of worship? It's a place where the presence of the Lord, as Joel says, is palpable. You can sense it. You can see it. You can touch it. You can taste it. You can be nourished by it. It's a place where guilt and shame are left at the door because the Lord has restored this body of people. Because the Lord has worked in the hearts and the lives of us as broken sinners to understand just what it is He has done for us. And in turn, then we can reach out. And we can say, this is what the Lord has done for me. And He can do the same for you. A place of comfort. A place of peace. A place of security. This is literally the sanctuary of the Lord. It's a place for the hurting, a place for the weary, the downtrodden, the anxious, the worried, the mourner, the addicted, and all of others. A restored worship is one where people are welcomed into the presence of the Lord. Joel mentioned mentioned shame a couple times here in this chapter. Shame is a powerful and humbling thing. It literally brings us to our knees, doesn't it? But one thing it can also do is to bring us to our knees in worship. For it is there where we see our need for the Lord. But in worship, as Joel says in verse 27, verse 27, excuse me, in the presence of the Lord, there is no shame. Imagine the day of the Lord when that's the sanctuary of the Lord, where there is no shame, there is no guilt. Why? Because He knows our weaknesses. He knows our past. He knows everything about us. Even the things that we attempt to hide. And yet He still tells us to enter into His presence, for there is no shame there. As we move forward, it's my prayer that Redeemer Arlington is that kind of place. A sanctuary for the people of Arlington to know and understand the presence of the Lord because our worship has been restored, because we've been restored. As I say these things to you this morning, it sounds like a challenge. Yes, it is but also sounds like a glorious mission. Impossible almost. Let me say this to you this morning. It is not impossible because the mission has been accomplished by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because Joel not only looked forward to the day of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but he looked forward to the day of the Lord that allowed the indwelling to take place a place in a time when the temple was restored, a place when the temple was made hospitable for the Lord to reside, a place where the Holy Spirit was to reside, a day when the Lord Jesus took our guilt, my shame, my temptation, our addictions, our selfishness to the cross on our behalf. For the work of the restoration does not begin with you and me, but it began with the work of Jesus Christ. It starts there because it's there where He restored all of us. 
It's where He restores His people and draws us back to Himself. In His death and in His resurrection, Jesus takes our sin and our guilt and removes them. He has given us His righteousness as our own. What does that mean? It means that we've been restored. You and I are new creations, new creatures, once broken, now whole, once an enemy, now a son and a daughter. We have been restored from an alien to a family member. You see, the impossible mission of restoration was accomplished in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And now he pours that spirit out onto us. And he says, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to restore all things. This is what makes the mission of restoration possible. So friends, our mission, if we choose to accept it, is to restore all things. Because he first restored us. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we give you thanks for this day. We thank you that you're on a mission to make all things new, to restore things to the way they're supposed to be. And so Lord, I pray that you would bring that about in this little corner of your creation, that you would use this church to accept and to take on that mission and to work to that end because you work to that end for us. So we give you thanks. Go before us, we pray. In the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray all of these things. Amen.